They're very happy or they're really sad or they're really upset. You know, like be that on the banjo. Be the happiest banjo player ever. Like, yeah, do it 100%. Don't just play it. Play it with all that emotion and all that feeling. Greetings, everyone. I'm Keith Billick, and this is the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. It's great to see all you regular listeners here back again. And if there are any new listeners joining, welcome. It's a it's a wonderful banjo-y place to be. So if that's something that interests you, you, you have found the podcast for you. How did everyone like the last episode, which was the first of the freshly picked series, which rather than profile a player specifically, it profiles a specific recording. And, uh, you know, I was able to discuss the recording with the banjo player on it, but it delves a little more into the music. So, so far I've gotten uh, good feedback about that, but uh, feel free to let me know what you think. I do already have a few more interviews in the can that you'll be seeing in the coming weeks with that series. Uh, but today we're going to be back to a little bit of the standard interview format. But a uh, little, little back and forth, little change of pace is always good, right? Uh, this was actually a, uh, a, a tumultuous week here at uh, Picky Fingers HQ. We had a big storm last week, and y- you've heard me at times refer to my suburban Detroit basement recording studio, which I, I am now back in. And I've also referred to my canopy tent that I do as a makeshift outdoor studio when the weather is nice. Well, this storm, not only did it flood my basement, but it also ruined my canopy tent. So basically both of my little uh, recording areas had to be completely evacuated. And, you know, I, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining too bad. I, I'm, I'm still fortunate nothing too terribly valuable was lost. Unless, of course, you work for my homeowner's insurance, in which case I, I lost that original flathead five-string Granada banjo. That that was a, a real heartbreaker. But no, uh, everything came out all right. But it was definitely a bit of a uh, a bit of a setback. But um, I'm up and running. Not going to let it hold me back. And other than a lot of uh, bleaching and scrubbing and moving of items and throwing out a lot of other items, uh, I'm going to persevere and 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 be right back at it. So yeah, 2020 just continues to be an adventure. I hope you're all taking care of yourselves out there and staying healthy and safe. Uh, feel free to drop me a line. Let me know how you're doing. Picky fingers, banjo podcast at gmail.com. That's also the way to let me know what you think of any of these episodes, but definitely specifically that new freshly picked series interested to know your thoughts. As always, I need to do an extra special shout out to today's uh, lovely, lovely, beautiful, and talented Patreon supporters of the show. Uh, Today we have two such supporters. That is uh, Trey Matthew. I don't have too much information about Trey, but he obviously has impeccable tastes in both instruments, choosing the banjo, and podcasts, choosing to support this one. So, Trey, thank you so much. The other is a gentleman named Gear Rude, and I, I, I sincerely hope I pronounced that almost sort of correctly. Gear is a player from the far-off land of Norway, and he was inspired to play the banjo after hearing Ralph Stanley's version 
of little Maggie. So he was actually extra excited when he heard the interview with Clark Wyatt to hear that that was Clark's early inspiration too. And then he took advantage of Eli Gilbert's special offer that covered the Ralph Stanley version of little Maggie. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you go to the Patreon site, which is patreon.com slash banjo podcast, that's how you become a supporter of this show. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, that's that's the way to uh, kind of give a little back. But at certain support levels, there's a, a fella named Eli Gilbert. A lot of you will know who he is, but he just has brilliant advice and banjo playing tips and has one of the best YouTube channels out there for banjo instruction. But I have a deal with him where for each of these artist interviews, he's going to give the Patreon supporters a little extra insight in the form of a bonus video. And uh, so Gear Rude was real happy to see that come out from Eli. And uh, thanks again to to both Trey and Gear for your Patreon support. Uh, once again, anyone else who wants to check that out, go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also help out the podcast just by uh, rating and reviewing on your podcast platform, sharing links to the episodes, or follow me on social media. Uh, I'm out there on Instagram, picky underscore fingers. On Twitter, I'm at banjo podcast. And on Facebook, I'm just under my own name, Keith Billick. But a lot of the listeners go to this podcast fan group called Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast, listeners, fans, and friends. There's actually over 750 of us who are on that group trading uh, all sorts of banjo knowledge and, and tips and, and whatnot. So that's a real great way to stay in touch as well. featured guest is Stephen Moore. Stephen plays banjo with the David Mayfield Parade and also the Ohio-based bluegrass group called Almost Famous. Stephen doesn't quite have the household name recognition of someone for, like, for example, Ron Block, and that's just mostly because he is not a full-time touring performer. But uh, make no mistake, he is as talented of a player as there is out there. And almost anyone who pays close attention to the banjo world out there, and particularly the the contest scene, definitely knows about Steven and his playing. For example, uh, when he won the Winfield contest most recently in 2015, the second and third place contestants were Matthew Davis and Kyle Tuttle. So that's the type of company that that he keeps, uh, some real heavy hitters there. Steven, as you'll also hear, solidly defeated me at the Rocky Grass Banjo competition along with everyone else. He's a prolific contest winner. I find that he just has a real knack for almost orchestrated-like arrangements for the banjo and still makes them fit in not only in a solo banjo context, but it sounds really great with a bluegrass group, and you'll hear a lot of examples of that during the course of this interview. 
So sit back and enjoy, or you don't even need to sit back. You can mow the lawn, go on a walk, be driving in your car. Whatever you're doing, enjoy this interview with Stephen Moore. Bethesda, Ohio. Right now I live in St. Clairsville, Ohio. I guess when I was six years old was when I first heard the banjo. Okay. My, what was that situation? So my, my mom is a huge Statler Brothers fan. Oh, okay. And uh, one of the Christmas vinyl records that she has had some banjo on it. Oh, and that's surprising. That's yeah. cool. Any idea who that is that played on that? So it's really funny. It's, it's Bela Fleck that was oh, playing no on kidding. it. And, uh, but anyway, I heard that song, and I, I just had to know you know, what that instrument was. So I asked her, I said, you know, what is that sound? What is, what is that? She said, uh-huh. it's a banjo. Of course, me being six years old, well, I want to play one. You know, uh-huh. right in my, you know, no questions asked. Yeah, I want to play cool. one. And, um, you know, not knowing anything about the music or, you know, even the nostalgia associated with the banjo, you know, the, the, the connotation that the banjo has, you know, is kind of a, a folk hillbilly kind of uh, instrument. Had, you know, no idea, no perception of that. Just very much wanted to play it. You just heard the sound. Yeah, and the sound had me. And, um, you know, years later, I found out that it was Bela Fleck and uh, Jimmy Fortune told me the story about that song. He said, yeah, we were in the studio and Bela came in and he had this really complicated banjo arrangement worked out. And he said um, that Harold, the bass singer with the Statler Brothers, Harold Reed, he said that Harold told him, boy... You need to put a little more Earl in your scrubs. <laughs> so he played it straight and ended up oh, being something kind of. It's real simple, yeah. you know? Yeah. Instead of something complicated. So I don't know if, if he had played what he'd prepared, if it would have caught my ear, you know, at six years old. Yeah. Versus that more Scruggsy. Kind of a take, real so. simple, but still like yeah. yeah so, but but that's what caught my ear, and uh, I asked to play the banjo then. And uh, a couple years later, I still wanted to play, so it wasn't a, a fleeting idea, you know. That but it also didn't happen right away. It didn't for happen you. right yeah. away. No, no. But I, I I didn't really push it that hard. I just yeah, I'd like to do that. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to do that. And then eventually, I mean, you're six. Yeah, yeah I was six. Yeah. I had you know all this time <laughs> in the world to ride or something. Yeah, yeah I had other <laughs> things to do. And, <laughs> um, when I was eight, my parents bought me my first banjo, and I started taking lessons. At a local music store. Yeah. Um, my teacher was a, an old hippie guy named Ed Mahonan. Okay. And Uncle Eddie, as he was called, he plays in a group back home, or played in a group back home called the Short Crick Flat Pickers. Okay. And uh, he was uh, a great teacher. You know, he taught me all the fundamentals. And uh, years later, he ended up moving to Florida. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's down there now. I believe he and his wife perform as Uncle Eddie and Robin. 
around right. in Florida. I don't know where, but I'd love to go see him sometime. So. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, he's my first first teacher. He was pretty traditionally. Yeah, so he played some claw hammer and you okay. know a little bit of scrugs and a little bit of melodic. You know, so he was, um, I guess, a great beginner teacher too. Like like he could break it down and you know for for months. I swear we just did. And then we added, you know, the left hand. Right. And I have countless tapes of that, you know, just... Of your, your yeah, lessons? So, so I would take a, a little, it was like a Fisher-Price um, cassette tape yeah. recorder. And yeah. like, that's what I used in my lessons. Like, I took it in and oh, recorded. Oh, that's hilarious. And I would listen back on the, the Fisher-Price cassette tape player, you know, and it just, it was terrible, but it, it, you know, that's that's how I learned. So. And that's a, that's a testament to how motivated you must have been, because as someone who has taught lessons, that's always a risk with young kids is like not giving them something quickly enough that will catch their ear because yeah. they want instant gratification. So yeah. the, the fact that you were able to like follow him down that yeah, yeah. really fundamental road. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely, was really uh, definitely caught my ear enough to do it. You know, just, you know, we, we learned Cripple Creek before. And then I think Foggy Mountain Breakdown. And my mom knew that song from the movie uh-huh. Bonnie and Clyde, you know, and so that I didn't exciting. know it, yeah. you know, but it, I did, so I knew nothing about bluegrass and I'm, uh-huh. I'm sitting there and I'm taking bluegrass lessons. And I remember one day he asked me if I like fiddle tunes and I was like, I guess so. I, I don't know, you know. It's yeah. just, and uh, so we learned some fiddle tunes, you know, uh, things like Fisher's Hornpipe. and Melodic style? Uh, yeah, a little bit. And, uh, okay. you know, it wasn't too much. It was, uh, you know, kind of... Kind of stuff. Yeah, scale patterns. Just kind of scalar, and... melodic style. And, and that was really great. So I got exposed to that and some single string, like we learned follow the leader pretty early. Yeah, so you were hitting all the bases. That's really cool. Yeah, Ed was really a, a great influence and um, you know, great teacher, got me all the fundamentals. And then one day he came to me and, and my mom, I was 13 then, so I, I took lessons from him from age eight to about 13. And uh, he said, you know, I've pretty much taught you everything that I can teach you, um, you know, other than, hey, we can learn this song this week. Hey, we can learn another song next week. Right. You know, right. just one song after another. He's like, I've kind of taught you all the the technique, all the fundamentals. You know, I'd like for you to find another teacher, a more advanced teacher. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, of course... During that time, I'd been going to jams, you know, I've met some people, been to shows, been to festivals, and uh, one of the bands I always really liked was Johnny Stats and the Delivery Boys. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a pretty local band and pretty progressive, you know, I kind of got into more Ron Blocky stuff as I was growing up, okay. you know, so I kind of went from like the Foggy Mountain Banjo album being like, oh, that's how I want to play to... Allison Krauss Union Station, so long, so wrong. Yeah, that was like my next thing, and then like I heard some Scott Vestal stuff, and that's like where I went then, you know. So Johnny Stats and the Delivery Boys kind of had that Scott Vestley sounding banjo player. Yeah, who who? So do his, you have any idea who his name's Butch Osborne? Okay, and so I took lessons from Butch for a lot of years after that. Okay, uh, probably three or four years after that. Mm-hmm. About maybe until seventeen years old, I took lessons with Butch. And what was he teaching you? So that, that Vestaly kind of stuff. Yeah, Butch taught me everything. I mean, like the first time I showed up, I think he was like tabbing out "Shoot the Dog" by Alison Brown and stuff. 
you know, stuff like that. And I was like, I'd never heard it before, you know? So then I learned that one later from him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we, we delved into Scott Vestal and Allison Brown. And then I remember one day he showed up, he goes, so I didn't play the banjo at all this week. He said it felt pretty down because I heard this guy play with John Cowan last weekend, you know, and he was really, really good and really young. He didn't play at all because he was discouraged. Yeah, he was like, it. I'm so discouraged. And it turns out it was Nome Pacowney shredding oh, it, you know, yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah. And uh, it was so funny because Butch was like, I just want to throw my banjo in the fireplace. <laughs> I, I, I give the, up. <laughs> I know the feeling. And you, and you got to let yourself just feel that way for a day or two and then come back at it and, uh, and yeah. attack it, I guess. So then I, you know, I ended up learning some Nome Pacowney stuff with him. Uh, just, you know his first album in the maze had some stuff on it that we worked on. Yeah. So maybe I'm skipping forward a little bit, but I was, I was mentioning right before we started talking here that we met briefly as I, at Rocky grass in in the banjo contest, which I just got my butt handed to me by, uh, by you and the rest of the guys, <laughs> but you won that. And I feel like I remember when we met, d- didn't you play one of Gnome's tunes? Yeah. For the in contest? the finals, I played super grouper. Okay. Which is I, on that in the maze album. Yeah. So. I remember you playing that for yeah, me. Yeah, Nice, and, um, nice B uh, closed position <laughs> kind of stuff. Yeah. So. And you figured, you just figured that out on your own or was that something that Butch, that was one that he with? started me on. Um, Butch started it with, with the capo and you know, I found out later that that was definitely not the right place. Mm-hmm. So like I ended up, I remember being like 15 and I took a whole day and I learned super grouper, like from dawn till dark. That's all I did was super grouper. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like one of those things that, you know, I remember it well and I tabbed it out and I st- still have that tab somewhere. Um, but I learned it, and uh, I, I ended up playing it in the contest there at Rocky Grass. Yeah, that's amazing. How did, or I mean, I was going to ask, how did you go about figuring those out? But I guess maybe a more relevant question is, is that still the way that you go about learning tunes or, or uh, no, figure, figuring say, stuff out? I would say that's the way I learned things then. You know, I'm still, I think, growing and trying to figure out, you know, not that you aren't always trying to figure out the banjo, but mm-hmm. like I was still learning the language, I think, you know, and, yeah. and now I feel like I know the language and it's it's just putting it together yourself now, you know, um, back then, you know, I, I don't think I had ever heard anything like that, you know. Think anyone probably had that? No, like, that and, was and, a... and and still, like you know, it it definitely changed who I was as a player. Like it made me want to play more musically, like 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 Gnome does. So, and what do you think are the elements of that? How what is the mind frame? Just kind of this fearless approach to to the banjo, where you, where you don't stick to what you know. You just I'm gonna leave that. You uh-huh. know, I'm gonna leave that behind, and I'm gonna try it a different way. And mm-hmm. and like. That that changed how I played, just hearing somebody else do that, you know. So you felt like you were a little too confined to, yeah, like, like you're following rules almost. Well, yeah, that, like you're you're following something you know, like, and, and in some way you almost get to a point where it's like improvisation, where mm-hmm. you don't know it at all, and you're just going to take a stab at it. <laughs> yeah. So like, I, I think that it helped me with that, and uh, you know, today when I write songs, I try to 
just think, you know, I'm going to leave what I've heard behind and, and write something that I I want to hear, you know. I might have a melody in my head or something, mm-hmm. but then I'll, you know, put it together that way. So it, it starts with hearing it in your head, and then it's almost as if you're teaching it to yourself. Sometimes, on yeah. On the instrument? Yeah, sometimes that's how I write. Sometimes, oh. it, you know, I have to find it first, you know, on the banjo, and then, like, I start putting it together. Something, you know... A lot of times, though, it does come to me. Just, just I'm right there in my mind, and I just start playing it. So I don't know. It's a mix. Yeah, a mix. I understand. That's something I struggle with. I don't write too many tunes, but as I try to make myself write more tunes, it occurs to me that as soon as I pick up the instrument, my hands just do what they always do, and they play the same licks. You know, we all kind yeah, of do that. Yeah, yeah, you fall and into that. And it's almost that. better if you, if you make yourself. You fall into that. Kind of, and I, I fall into that with my, I would say, practice, if you want to call it practice. Like, I'll come home from, from work, and uh, my wife often has dinner ready. She's a saint. <laughs> and uh-huh. she, she makes dinner, and then I'll sit there, you know, while we're eating dinner, and I have the banjo beside me, and I'll, I'll play it while I eat. Like, it's just, <laughs> yeah, it consumes. Like, or we'll watch, we'll watch a show in the evening, you know, while we're eating dinner, but I'm playing banjo through the whole show. Okay. Like, <laughs> like she loves Friends and all these 90s sitcoms, so, like, I'm, I'm up on that now, which I wasn't before, but... Um, the whole time I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm playing banjo and I do find myself, you know, playing things that I already know. Mm-hmm. Well, for, <laughs> for a banjo that you eat dinner while playing, I'll, I'll, I'll notice that there's a remarkable lack of like marinara sauce or yeah, uh, no salad kidding. dressing on your banjo. It's, it's still pretty clean for being, uh, yeah. <laughs> accompanying you on all those meals. Yeah. That's pretty great. yeah there's, there's no spaghetti here. Yeah, good. <laughs> so you, she doesn't get too like. That's got to be annoying, right? Someone playing the banjo while you're trying. You know, to, uh, she's the same. She puts up with the banjo. <laughs> she puts up with me. So <laughs> nice. So so going back to those contests, what kind of preparation did you do to to prepare yourself for those? Cause, oh goodness! So, I mean, I guess because t- other than Rocky Grass, you're you're a Winfield winner too, right? Yeah, yeah. Which so that's the, the big I've won Winfield you know. twice. That's, that's oh, have you? The okay. big contest. Yeah, you know, for in the banjo world. I started going when I was 15. Mm-hmm. It was 2006, and I got third that year. And I, I was influenced by Butch to go. Butch, Butch said, hey, you know, you're doing really great. You should go to Winfield. And he had been there before, and he had made top five, but he'd never made top three and taken home a banjo. He said, you should go, and you should do it. So one year, my dad said, let's go. And we went. And yeah, that's we didn't great. know anybody. We just drove out there, and you know, it's a 1,000 miles from southeast ohio to winfield kansas so we we did this long trip and we set up camp in a tent and uh we uh we played folks i need to tell you about one of the sponsors of the podcast it's elderly instruments and these days there's a huge push in supporting local family-owned businesses Elderly Instruments definitely fits that bill. They've been family-owned since their beginnings in 1972. And that being said, they have grown into a world-famous supplier of all stringed instruments, including banjos, guitars, mandolins, fiddles, ukuleles, all that kind of stuff. They have the instruments, they have the accessories, and yes, the the fact that they are world famous now means they also ship worldwide. So even if you are unable to make it to their Lansing, Michigan showroom, they can ship to you and also give you the advice to help you make sure that you're finding the 
right item for your needs. That's the same whether you are a beginner looking for your first instrument or whether you are a very high-end collector looking for that extraordinarily rare or hard-to-find valuable item. Elderly is going to have all of that and everything in between. Uh, They're well-known for their selection, but also their customer service. So make sure you give them a visit at elderly.com. They will not steer you wrong. Another sponsor of the Picky Fingers Banjo podcast is Peghead Nation. I'm always proud to recommend them, but especially during these times of staying at home a bit more often than we used to. Peghead Nation's streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele helps you learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. Among their video courses that they offer, you'll be able to find Beginning Banjo with Bill Evans, Bluegrass Banjo with Bill Evans, Clawhammer Banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward-style banjo with Bruce Molsky, the banjo according to Danny Barnes, and also Contemporary Bluegrass Banjo with Wes Corbett. And each of those courses has high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tablature, play-along tracks, and then plenty of play-along tunes included. And as a bonus offer for Picky Fingers listeners, if you join any of those video courses, you're going to get your first month's free. So if you go to pegheadnation.com and get to the checkout, use the promo code PICKYFINGERS, all one word, lowercase, at checkout. And like I said, you'll get the first month free from some of those all-star instructors. So check that out, pegheadnation.com. Did the contest, and I guess to prepare for the contest that year, I just decided I was going to pick out four songs mm-hmm. and, and work on them, and, you know, work them up in a way that I think I would like to hear them played in a contest. Yeah. Which is to some degree, you know, flashy and a little bit showy, but I didn't want it to be like obnoxious or over the top or, you know, something that would, I guess, be distasteful. I wanted sure. it to still be tasteful. And one thing that I was prepared with the contest song was, was an intro and an outro that both mimicked, you know, some of the inflections of the song mm-hmm. in them. And then, you know, they, they worked themselves together. Yeah. So like one one song that I, I worked up and I've played in several contests is Wheel Hoss. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a there's an intro from Jim Hurst in okay. his open open window album that he plays. I kind of stole some of that and adapted it to what I wanted it to be on the banjo. So I have this. You know, then you go into the song. And then my outro for that's kind of kind of a reflection of that. So like I've I've played that in contests before, and uh, 
you know, that's, that's, I guess my way of coming up with it is, okay, you know, three good breaks, intro, outro, and then that's kind of the formula for contests, I guess, for me. And are you improvising during, uh, during no, a contest? No, generally, generally I have it prepared, okay. um, you know, especially for, you know, when you're driving a thousand miles, I don't want to go out there and just, you know, have a hiccup, you know, I want, I want to do well, you know, yeah. make it worth my trip. Now, if I was playing a contest that was local, which, which I have done, you know, I'll just go up there and wing it. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, um, you know, some of those contests that I've had to travel for, like Rocky Grass, I drove out myself, I was like 20, you know, yeah. in, in my 99 Pontiac Grand Am. You know, <laughs> yeah, drive, but you made it? Two-day two drive to, you know, Lyons, Colorado, right. and, and, you know, I wasn't going to go out there unprepared. Um, but I did uh, pick up a companist there, Andrew Conley, who plays the cello, uh, was my accompanist for I the contest. Yeah. So probably the only one that had a cello accompanist. <laughs> but, uh, I definitely did not. Yeah, it was, it was kind of fun. So, I, I mean, you know, I worked that out with him, you know, uh, but we did prepare a little bit before we went on stage. You know, he sure. kind of knew the songs. They were, except for Super Grouper, you know, they were pretty standard songs. Mm-hmm. So. But uh, so if you weren't improvising, what about the rest of it? Like, do you, do you have a method of approaching all the variations that you're trying to do? Or? Yeah, just um, I think like so like a, a good first break in a contest like should be pretty strict to the original or to the to the raw melody. Mm-hmm. Like so, you know, if I was playing, let's just say wheelhouse right now, you know, you go back to the Bob Black banjo break. You know, and then I might change it up a bit. You know, just kind of sticking to that beginning. And then I guess, you know, depending on if you have, you know, if it's a short song or a fast song, you might have four breaks. Versus, you know, kind of a regular tempo song, you'll probably have three breaks, you know. Yeah. So if you have... Let's just say a three-break song. You know, maybe maybe the first break you're straight. The second break you go up the neck and you know you're just I don't know showing off a little bit on the second break. Okay. And then your third break is where you you kind of come off of that high and you're you're. structure i guess a lot of my contest songs is you bring it back to that beginning yeah in the last break that's incredible you're doing so many different techniques that a lot of people think of as being separate techniques yeah and, i mean um, it, it's definitely I mean, a fusion of all you know single style or single string melodic style um you know scrug style it's definitely a fusion of that like don't i don't let that style get in my way of you know Right, creating something—it's just what I want to hear at that exact point. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna play. You know, was that ever a, a challenge for you? I mean, I mean, I guess when your first teacher was teaching you all of them at the same time, maybe it. Yeah, no, not just, so much. It yeah. just—they just kind of. To me, that's you know, when I play the banjo now, it's it's that blend of styles. It, it doesn't. There's not really for me a separation of them. They're just kind of all happening together. Just about hitting the notes that you want to hear, right. however they need to be hit. Right. And. And that's that's how it goes. So I, uh, you know, I did I did that contest. I've done 
of course, Rocky Grass was the next one after after Winfield. I, I won Winfield in 08. I went to Rocky Grass. I won it in 11. And then I did, I think it was Merle Fest and Reno Fest the same year in like 2013. Huh. Just did the whole Yeah. So, so like that was kind of like I, I got them all in and then, you know, I was eligible to do Winfield again. And I was like, yeah, I guess I'll go back. So I, I won it again in 15. Then the most kind of more recent ones... Um, I did fresh grass and I went out there and I, I did it twice. Um, first year I got third and then the second year I won. And then I think that's it. I think I'm all caught up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Carolina in the fall was in there, which that was pretty cool to do. Jens uh, Kruger's festival. Yeah. And he actually judged the contest. Oh, uh, so that's, one year, that's which quite is really a big vote cool. yeah, so, of confidence. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. yeah Jens is cool. a great guy and a great player. So that was pretty cool. Who else do you consider your main influences? Oh man, I, I, I mean, there's got to be a there's a lot of banjo influences, um, you know. So Butch Osborne, my first teacher, and you know some of some of the other guys are his influences too. But like Bela Fleck, uh-huh. um, Noam Pakelny, of course, as we mentioned, um, Scott Vestal, Allison Brown, Jens Kruger. Um, I really like Ryan Kavanaugh's playing. You know, yeah, he's sure. super good, and uh, Matt Menefee from oh, Cadillac yeah. Sky, yeah, for which sure. is. Really cool because Matt played with David Mayfield and Cadillac yeah. Sky. Now I'm playing with David Mayfield, so you it's pretty cool. Kind of have his job in a way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of have a connection That's there. Cool. And uh, you know, guys like that are are definitely my banjo influences. But outside of that, I listen to a lot of guitar players. Yeah. Um, yeah. Frank Vignola is one of my favorites. Sure. You know, I kind of enjoy that swing, like Angelo DeBar. I don't know if you've heard of him. The gypsy stuff. Yeah, yeah. the gypsy stuff. Yeah. I love that stuff. Um, I love the finger style stuff. I listen to a lot of like Pete Hutlinger. And mm-hmm. um, Tommy Manuel, okay. And, you know, there's there's so many others. Andy McKee, you know, and and just I think for me more than like I'm going to sit down and learn a Tommy Manuel song, or I'm going to sit down and learn any any song, you know, just hearing it and just having those tones in your mind, you know, and then exploring that creatively on the banjo has yeah. been really helpful. So how how do you write some of your stuff, or like the the disc that you forwarded me and uh, I'm, I'm feeling awful for not remembering the name of of the group that you recorded with oh um, yeah so I, I play in a band uh, like a local band just kind of uh, we all have jobs and then we play some on the weekends yeah um, back home in southeast Ohio called almost famous yeah and we actually played a show last night at the Penny Royal Opera House there in Fairview Ohio it's kind of a, a spot it's like a it's a Friday night gig for for bands that are coming through usually they, they try to catch some of the bigger bands uh, okay in, in the world of bluegrass yeah cool so uh, you know they'll get them to stop on a Friday night while they're heading somewhere to a Saturday gig, you know? So, you know, last night we played there, we opened up for a band called open highway they're an Ohio based band as well. Okay. So what was your original question? Sorry. <laughs> I, got I, th- I think I was, I think, well, the, the whole Tony Alice connection was struck by a lot of those tunes that are on that disc. Oh yeah. You have like just a really cool arrangement of the, Cool, it's yeah. usually like the melody, but you almost have like a cool chord melody worked out.
take another look before you lock the door. That's one thing that I think I'm, I'm really good at with, with my band is coming up with an arrangement. You know, coming uh-huh. up with like, I, th- I think an important thing is, is like a motif that occurs throughout a song, like it, with a band, you know. Um, so like with Almost Famous, I would often, you know, come up with a motif. Like a uh, guy that played guitar in that band, Josh Hetrick, had this song. And uh, it was it was like a very Jimmy Buffett, beachy sounding okay. song. Like, so the, the melody was like... So like I came up with like just a little jingle to go with that. It was like Yeah. Sounds like steel drums or something like that. I haven't played it in a while, so I didn't even think of it. But you know, and that happens, you know, three or four times throughout the song. You know, it's kind of a nice so I guess for me, that's that's a good point, you know, of, of coming up with an arrangement is coming up with a motif that happens often. And just locking into the, the yeah. vibe that you're getting. And then you can it. all play it together, you know, like the fiddle can join in with you and, and match the banjo part. And totally. Mandolin can play it too, you know, so. The Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Deering Banjos, who want you to know that banjo teachers love good times. In a recent survey conducted by Deering, over 200 banjo teachers were asked, how likely is it that you would recommend the good time banjo to your students? An overwhelming 85% responded that they would, with the number one reason being that good times are easy to play. Even good time ambassador and 2019 IBMA Banjo Player of the Year, Kristen Scott Benson agrees that you will not find a better banjo than this in the price range of the Deering good time. With the good time banjos, Deering understands the importance of starting out with a banjo that will help not hinder your banjo learning experience, which is why they make sure that each and every good time banjo leaves looking great, feeling great, and sounding great. For more information and to see exclusive videos from good time ambassadors Kristen Scott Benson and Pete Wernick, head over to DeeringBanjos.com slash teachers love good times. Or in other parts, I've I've almost heard you do almost like a quasi flamenco type of um, maybe. I'm I'm thinking of the arrangement you had of, of all of me, not the oh, okay, yeah, not the jazz standard, the but, uh, piano guy song. Uh huh. Yeah, that's a cool song. It, yeah, and there's just some other techniques, and so that was a. I should explain. <laughs> that that song came up on YouTube, one of those college nights that I should have been studying and, you know, preparing for tests. I was listening to, you know, different things on YouTube and somehow I came across that video of John Schmidt playing his his song that he called All of Me. And he does it in C sharp, uh, which is extremely banjo friendly, yeah. as you know. <laughs> right. So I just play it in Piece double C. Instead of, you know, tuning everything up a half step to B and C sharp. I mean, I guess you could play it. But that'd be pretty uncomfortable. And I was like, man, I'd like to take something like totally different to Winfield. And like in the back of my mind, like that song just popped in. I was like, oh, I forget who did that. I, you know, and I spent hours looking for it and I couldn't find it. And finally, like I found the video. I was like, this is it. This is is the video. (laughs) Like, and I listened to it and I was like, Oh, that would be great on the banjo. And then, you know, I tried learning it and it was it was pretty difficult. 
but I, I just kept working on it, working on it, working on it. I kind of came up with my own banjo arrangement of, uh -huh. his, of his song, All of Me. It's got this nice intro. Which, have you listened to his version of it? Definitely recommend it. This is almost like an exact interpolation of the piano part. So I'd have to put on the banjo. There's there's one that's. Is there another one? Is it kind of like a modern R and B? No, it's just him playing it on piano. That's all it is. Just him okay. playing the song. Okay. So it's got a first part that goes like that, and uh, I guess. So he is playing that on the high keys on the piano. Oh, wow, yeah. And then, you know, later when he gets into the main chorus, you know, he's using big block chords, you know, because he's got 10 fingers to hit those, all sure, those notes. Sure. So on the banjo, the best thing I can do is do a rake every now and then. But then I, I kind of deviated from his, uh, for the next part, I played something like. back up to where his part was and then okay. this matches his kind of so then there's this crash and it's it's where he's taking his whole arm and he's just slapping it down on the black keys on the piano oh wow so, that's kind of what that's then he he wraps it up he goes and he's back to his first part but I I wanted there to be more so I wrote another part for it Oh. So it's kind of an interesting song that it's, it's oh, not 100% John Schmidt. There's like two parts in it that are mine. So, um, but the next part that I have is. This is probably that flamenco part you were talking about up here. Anyway, that's that's the part that I wrote for it. And okay, tied it back to his first part. So. And the Winfield judges were I didn't totally play it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't play it in the contest. Um, so um, I kind of had this fear that you know that would be like a little outside of the scope of like a <laughs> well, bluegrass that's, contest. That's exactly what I was. Thinking. So like I, I had it already, and I was like, you know what? I, I think that's too risky. So I, I played some more. Uh, I played uh, in the finals that in fifteen. I played, I think it was Whiskey Before Breakfast and When Johnny Comes Marching Home. Okay.
guess when Johnny comes marching home, it isn't exactly bluegrass, but you know, it's a traditional song. It's a very old song. It's a little more in the box. Yeah, yeah. it's a little more in the box. So, but I did play all of me as the like encore after they announced the winner. Cool. So, like, I did get to play it. But <laughs> that was. Uh, Don't you wish you could have known what they? Uh, yeah, I kind of wish I would have known. But uh, I think if I go back, I think I might play that. Yeah, because yeah. I love that song. I love that that you know John Schmidt's arrangement of it's great. Yeah, am I? <sighs> I, I I am so disconnected from like pop music. Isn't there another like pop song called All of Me? Oh, that's like, that's uh, like John, John Legend. Legend. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's totally different than either of like the traditional All of Me. Yeah, so that's and that's where my mind goes first. Yeah, for, yeah. So okay. yeah, it's it's totally different than both. I think once you get to three songs with I'm the sure same title, that's, that's got to yeah, be retired. I'm sure it's <laughs> created a lot of confusion for John as he's like, oh yeah, I have this song I wrote called All of Me. People are probably like, yeah, yeah, sure you wrote that, you know? <laughs> yeah. We know two different ones. Yeah. <laughs> and that was that was a pretty cool song to do. Uh, I, so I, I had a video made of it, which you've you said you have yeah. seen before. Yeah, um, so I great. had like a, a camera crew actually film it. I don't know why. I just decided yeah, that's the song I want to want to put on YouTube. You know, have a nice video for. So I so I did that. And uh, this group called TSG Video Services, something like that. TS, TSG Studios. That's what their name is. Did the video, and it was pretty cool. Uh, the mandolin player and almost famous at the time um, was the principal of a high school, a local high school, Barnesville High School. Oh, was that the theater? So I got to you know use the theater there. I used uh-huh. the use the stage. You know all the stage lighting was right there, and uh, so he yeah, it's really know, cool had video. An, had an in for a stage, you know, to just take as much time as we needed to make a video, and I didn't have to pay for it. So yeah, <laughs> that's, why that's not? what we did. Yeah, yeah. Turned so we used great. that space, and uh, the piano guys actually saw that video and shared it on their their page, which is pretty cool. Oh, they that's got like really 40,000 cool. views on their Facebook page, which is pretty wild. Oh, dang. And so, th- so you, that's like an exact or, you know, pretty close to exact piano arrangement. Yeah. Yeah. How, Except how for you, the couple parts that I added. Sure. So. How do you approach something like that? Do you, are you a slow downer or you just have to listen to it over and over and over and over and over? Um, I think I would just listen to it more than I would slow it down unless there's a part that's pretty complicated in itself, mm-hmm. um, which I may have done for that song. I honestly can't remember. But for the most part, it's just listening it over, over and over again and then playing along with it. What is your typical practice routine these days and how do you get warmed up for gigs or what do you have a... Um, Do you have a method to all your madness? Honestly, like I said earlier, when I'm practicing, if you will, at home, if you want to call it that, uh, a lot of time it's just mindless, just kind of a muscle memory thing. And I I think that's important to at least be getting that much, you know, uh, muscle memory thing um, to keep your, just kind of keep you at a a certain point, you know, maybe so you don't, you don't decay, you know, so you don't lose it. Sure. Um, But it's definitely not like a creative, constructive practice, you know, for... For the time that I have outside of work, you know, to, to, for me to do a creative, constructive practice, I kind of just turn off everybody else, you know, the, my wife and the dog, and um, which which I still get a little bit of that time, but it's not as often as I want. But when I do get, you know, time like that, I, I think that I try to write more than actually practice, like, if that huh. makes sense. Like, I'll go through scales and, and runs and, you know, try to try to execute them perfectly, and that's, you know, good practice. But I think... My practice is better spent for me, you know, right now, just trying to write. And is that something you've been doing a lot of? Like, do you have a lot of original tunes? I do, you're... I do, and and they've mostly just sat in my head. Like, I haven't done anything with them. Um, 
So that's something interesting about, you know, I, I started recently playing with the David Mayfield parade. Yeah. Um, you know, now I can bring these, these melodies that I've had and these arrangements that I've had. Yeah. Cool. And they become something, you know, with this band. So that's that something that's happening. Yeah. Are it's they, definitely happening. Integrating a lot of your, yeah, it's pretty cool. Ideas? And, and we're at the early stages of it. You know, we haven't, haven't been playing together as a group really that long. Uh, but already tonight we'll play a song that I wrote the melody for and oh, great. Andrew Bonas, the bass player wrote the lyrics for. So, and you know, we put it together as a group and I kind of had most of the arrangement together, but we polished it as a group and, you know, now it's a song and it's one of our, one of our favorite ones we do. So, yeah, that's, that's great. How did David and the band kind of lure you onto more touring life? I guess I, I kind of gather that you, you've sort of stayed away from a lot of that. At one point, I think it was shortly after Rocky Grass, I got booked for a a gig at Washington State Community College in Marietta, Ohio. And that was a great gig. Uh, they brought, you know, a lot of money to the table to, to, for me to put a band together. So I flew guys in, and Andrew Bonas was the bass player I got for that band, and he was from Cleveland. Actually, he was living in Chardon, just east of Cleveland at the time. And um, he came down and, you know, played that gig, along with these other guys that, you know, I'd met over the years going to bluegrass events, and, and it was kind of like this super band of players that I got to put together just for one You gig. just got to handpick them. Yeah, yeah, I got to handpick great. the guys I wanted, and, and, you know, it was great. And uh, the gig went good. Everything was good about it. And, um, you know, here years later, David moves back to Akron, Ohio, and he starts playing in the music circles around there, and he, he's now playing with Andrew Bonas. Okay. And, you know, he decides, okay, you know, I want to take this... David Mayfield Parade in a bluegrass direction, you know, so he's calling it the David Mayfield Bluegrass Parade sometimes. It's uh, just the David Mayfield Parade, but he also calls it his Bluegrass Parade. Yeah. So, you know, he, he asked Andrew Bonas, you know, do you know any good banjo players? And he's like, oh, I know this guy, you know, his name's Stephen Moore. He's from Ohio. Like, you know, we can, you know, he's around, bring yeah. him up. So uh, um, it's really funny. So the, the first gig I played with David, uh, Christine, the fiddle player, told me, Oh yeah, after you kicked off, and it was just a standard bluegrass song. It was uh, like in the gravel yard, uh-huh. you know, like a blue highway in the gravel yard. I think that's what it was actually. You know, I kicked it off, and she said that David's eyes lit up. You know, and I was like, "Oh really?" I said, "That's a you know pretty straight ahead song." And she was like, "No, it's just that we had a really competent banjo player to play with, and that made me feel pretty good." So yeah, that was that was a good feeling. You know that you know I kind of got that acknowledgement from the you know the, both the fiddle player and from David that you know they were happy to have me in the band. So yeah, was, it's was, some it's something that you rarely get that perspective of because yeah. you don't hear things from their perspective yeah, with yeah. other so, banjo players. So it's, it's yeah. kind of like you're welcome here. You know what I mean? And yeah, they've kept me on set, so I must be doing all right. <laughs> yeah, haven't been fired yet, and they're no. play, playing your tunes. That's wonderful. Tell me about your actual instrument that you have. So this is the the banjo I won at the 2008 Winfield contest. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an Ohm Gold Odyssey. It is curly maple and gold plated. It is a radius fingerboard. Right. And um, I love it. I've played it ever since I won it. And of course, you've won several others, but that's just been. It's the one I keep coming back to. I've won several Deerings, and, and Deering is one of those companies that. You know they're they're a big banjo company and they they do participate in a lot of these contests and they will give banjos and and you know I have several of them and I love them I have a, a Daring Black Diamond that I won at Winfield it's really cool because it has the Walnut Valley Festival's crest 
Um, oh, in, so it's like a custom the thing. Yeah, that they... so it's like a one of a kind. It's the only one they ever made kind of a thing. Oh, yeah. For Great. the 35th anniversary of the Walnut Valley Festival. Uh-huh. It's pretty cool. Um, you know, and I, I have it and I play it. And uh, I have a Deering Calico. Um, I have a Deering White Lotus. I have two ohms. This is the one. And the other one I won at Winfield in 2015. And it's an Odyssey. It's not gold-plated. And it's a little darker stain, but it's also curly maple. I have a Yates, uh, LM1 Yates that I won. I think that one is was at Reno Fest. And then I have a Pruka that I won at Fresh Grass. It's the Allison Brown oh, model. Man. Yeah, I have like this, this incredible. great collection of banjos. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, I recently uh, got a neck fill. Within the last year, I got a neck fill. And I play it a lot. It sits on the couch mostly. There's probably more spaghetti on it. Oh, that's, than, your, <laughs> that's, your, that's your dinnertime TV yeah. show banjo. But yeah, this this ohm is my workhorse. I love the way it sounds. And uh, yeah, what do you I, think I this one? Out. What do you think this one does that... Maybe you don't get from there's just any a one of certain the complexity to the sound that I like. I, I think that especially when I'm playing something like a lot of the stuff that I've been writing lately is very like solo banjo oriented. I think, yeah. which you know I said I'm integrating it into this band, so it's becoming more of a band setting. But for me, for so long, it's been just this is a you know when I go play a solo gig, which which I do get a few of those, you know, where they just want a banjo player to play. You know, I'll play some some of my original stuff. And I guess for me, this banjo has, has a fullness to it and the complexity of the sound it works well for that solo banjo. Okay. Stuff like that, you yeah. know, this this banjo complements it well, and uh, it sure does. Just, you know, the, I think it's I'm, I'm doing a lot of bass note walking, so C to D to E to the F, all in that gives you a way to have the root note down there, yeah. right? And I think that you know, this, this banjo's got a lot of that low, low note, low end kind of a sound, yeah, but it's a like a it clear, has clear good, low note, clear rather than highs. like a Tubby loan up here. And it really, I think, you know, on some of those complicated chords, these. You know, that one has. Yeah. Gotta have your intonation just right to go yeah, up there. Yeah, I'm a little too. out of tune, of it, you know, but. Uh, kind of get the idea of and course yeah this yeah, is, this sounds is great. like the banjo i think that complements that kind of a style the best. but you also feel like now that you're in a group it's it's hanging with that just yeah, as well definitely. too yeah definitely cool so 
How about anything else that you're partial to in terms of bridges or heads or picks or capos or, or <laughs> so you probably noticed this this funny looking bridge that's on here. Yeah, it's a little funny looking. I've seen I've seen some kind of like that before. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is one Jeff Stelling uh, cut for me. It is forward B compensation and backwards G compensation. Yeah. So it's it's kind of funny looking because the B note sticks out and then the G note comes back. Yeah, and, and then the rest are straight. So it's pretty snaky. Yeah, yeah. It, it looks pretty wild. Uh, so yeah, that's that's one Jeff Stelling made me, and he makes fantastic banjos as well. Sure, uh, sure. So it's no surprise that you know he's innovating. You know, banjo bridges or you know any any part of the banjo. So I mean, it's it's pretty common to see the the G compensation, but that forward B is kind of the, yeah, that that's what's funky about that one. Is that something that you asked him to do or did he pitch it, that It's to one you? that he had at Merle Fest, I believe is where I saw it. And he only had them, you know, with no radius, they were flat bridges. Okay. And I said, can you make one of those radius? And he said, I'll, I'll do the best I can. And he made me, you know, probably five or six of them. And uh, I like it because kind of a well-known thing you know in the music world you know when you have your your root note you know where we go to with the three usually is a little flat in our mind so i don't really carry a tuner around a lot but you know, that to me sounds right with where the b should be maybe a little more you know versus yeah. you know it might actually need to be a, a little, little more. more yeah you know so now because of that slight forward b now when i fret it's oh, true. It sharps back up, doesn't right. it? Okay. So I can still tune it where I think it sounds good. And then when I fret it everywhere. Stays pretty true. Stays pretty true. Wow. Because that's always... Yeah, we kind of always have to determine what's what's better for us that open g or being able to hit those unison yeah, d's yeah so it kind of takes takes care of some of that problem huh. so Very i really like it yeah it's pretty cool um another thing i should talk about are these picks i'll go ahead and hand yeah, them to you do. so you can look at them they are thirty-two thousandths. believe Whoa. they're uh, sterling silver of some kind so i have a friend his name's ron landis and uh he is a master engraver and he it's well known in the the coin engraving world. Um, he actually created the first uh, Sacagawea gold dollar. Oh no! Kidding. Yeah, so he he created a, a template that he you know proposed that was proposed before Congress. It was his design. Do you Congress care if I was, snap a photo of these? Go ahead, take a picture. Oh, yeah, they're, they're so cool. So um, you know he created that that prototype that went before Congress and they voted to pass. Yes, this is a coin that we're going to accept into our our currency. And he's also well known in what they call the hobo nickel world. So they'll take like a and what a, is that? They'll take like a buffalo nickel uh-huh. and they'll work one side of it down to nothing, and then they'll create like an artistic scene on the on the nickel. So you know, on the front you might have you know the buffalo nickel, the classic you know Indian yeah. Indian on the front, and then on the back do something different, or you might leave the buffalo side. And then on the other side, you know, do something different. So you, he might have like a train going past a fence, and it's it's you know such so, such a small piece to engrave oh, with on. Tons of detail. Tons even of detail. You know, he's got pictures of people and their you know everything from their eyes to their eyelashes, or you know you can see that detail in them. It's amazing. 
And uh, he, he's a master engraver on a very artistic and microscopic level. Like, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, those picks are beautiful. So he, he got this idea, and he's into music. He plays some dobro and banjo and mandolin. And he got this idea, well, you know, why can't I just make picks? So he Good started cutting them out of, you know, some material. And uh, he, he likes a thicker pick, and I, I tend to like a thicker pick, too. And, and the, the thickest you can buy, like a Dunlop, is... Uh, twenty five thousand. Yeah. yeah. So these are thirty two thousands, quite a bit heavier. Uh-huh. And he engraved them up and and bent them and shaped them and buffed them and and they're, they're sterling cool. silver. Yeah, they're some kind of sterling silver. He could probably tell you more about it. But these, as you noticed, have different designs on them. Yeah. So each both- <laughs> each is a prototype. Yeah. Each one, and he said. Pick which one you like, and I'll make you a set. So this is still the prototype set that I have. Oh, so when did you get those? Um, it's been a while ago now, but uh, less than a year still. Um, but the ball's in your court to let him the know. The ball's in my court to let him know which one I like better. I think I like the the kind of more block letter one than the scroll letter looking one. But um, hopefully soon that's going to hit the banjo market. He said he's got a a die to stamp, you know, the the picks. And he said, "Still, most of the work is by hand because you're you're bending them and buffing them." Oh, uh, but yeah. he's he's got a die that, that does a pretty good job just getting the rough cut at first. Now that makes a great like that album cover or something. Yeah, like that. they're like, super if cool. You could get a good photo of that or yeah. something. Yeah, really well, shallow depth of field kind of a picture. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and not only is the the artwork great, but just um, you know, they're just very rounded and aerodynamic yeah they're a great pick the, and the shape you know, i and wouldn't i wouldn't you know use them if i didn't love them and they're all i play now yeah they're, they're all I that's play. really cool but but you only have one set is that yeah is that your situation yeah so oh, man take um, good care of them so it was interesting uh you know i've got these prototypes and i, I met bela not too long ago I've, I've met him a few times but after a show i said hey i want you to look at these picks i said uh i'm sure my friend ron would love to make you a set as well and he said well he said i've been playing band a long time i really like you know he's got the the old national picks that's his favorite pick because i really like what i've been playing on you know all these years you know i don't want him to waste a lot of time making them he meant it you know very respectfully of course you know, if it's yeah. something i'm not going to use you know and i said well just go ahead and try them and he tried them and he kept he just kept over and over again. Just and he was like, "Yeah, have your friend make me a set of these." So like, I, I told Ron that. And of oh, course, he cool. was elated. So I mean, even if Baylor just has them, that will that will make him. Yeah, elated, he didn't even so. want to like them. Right. And yeah, he couldn't help it. And he was like, "I, I like these a lot." So um, that's a work in progress. Ron Landis is making picks. Everybody should check him out. He's a great engraver. Like. He's a really talented guy. So he is making like, is this something that it's anyone something can like hop on a website and um, put in an he's order? He's ramping for? it up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would message him now if you want one now, but uh, you know, he's ramping it up. Hopefully, he'll have him in production soon. So. Oh man, very you're, cool. Stuff. You're killing me now. I'm gonna have to. Oh, that's so cool. Any, anything else like head or capo? Like so, anything? this head Strings? is a Ludwig yeah. head. Um, Ohm had put them the Ludwig heads on their banjo. Is that the same um, as a five star? I don't know. I think it's separate. I think it's different. Okay. Um, because I think you can still buy five star heads. Yeah. And now Ludwig has discontinued making heads. Um, uh, so Ohm had two left, and I was out there, and they gave me both of them. Oh. So it's really cool. Uh, because the the first one I had, I felt like all of a sudden it just died. I don't know if I over tightened it or what. I, I, which for me, if anybody knows, I keep it. You know, my banjo head pretty loose. I like a darker tone. 
so I don't know what happened to that head. I think it was just a freak thing. It just kind of like all of a sudden died. It didn't have the tone that I wanted. Just kind of gave up a bit. Just kind of gave out. And so uh, I wanted a new head. And they said, well, you had a Ludwig head. We only have two of those left. Uh-huh. Do you want us to put one of those on or do you want to remo? I was like, well, I liked what was on there. So they put the Ludwig on there. And gave and you the other one. Gave me the other one just to have as a backup. Okay. Which, you know, there's nothing wrong with a Remo head. I'm sure I've played on, you know, several of them. But, but you know you like it. But I, I knew I liked this Ludwig, so that's what went on there. Uh, not really biased to banjo heads. <laughs> I'm not that nerdy It's yet. okay to be biased, you know. <laughs> You'd know what you like. I'm not like uh, Gabe Hirschfeld, that, you know, he's tearing apart banjos, you know, minutes before the show trying to tweak it, you know. Oh, that's... no. I don't know if I could handle the... Uh... The anxiety with that yeah uh so you said you keep it fairly loose what are what are we talking like an f sharp i don't something? i don't tune it okay so i just tune it to where i will t- tune it i just turn it to where i think it's right you know just get the mm-hmm. get the tension to where it kind of feels right it's got a little bit of give and then i i play it if it's got that darker tone that i like you know yeah or if i want a little more or a little less i'll adjust it from there but there's a sweet spot it's just that yeah you it's just a sound for. that i listen for so yeah right on It's a little darker tone. Yeah. But I don't think I leave it so dark that you can't play, you know, some brighter Scruggs stuff. So if I get closer to the bridge. You know, it's it's right there oh, it's, if you it's want. Got that for sure. Which, you know, I think between playing with Almost Famous and David and going to jams, I kind of want a banjo that's an all-around. I can play it. No matter what the style, and solo this does banjo, that. Yeah, I can right. play solo banjo. I can play jazz. I can play some swing, and then I can go out there and rip a Scruggs number. You know, mm-hmm. and and it's kind of nice to have that. It's it's all here. I just got to move my hand. So, yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. <laughs> Closer to the bridge, further away. <laughs> exactly. So. Nice versatile instrument. Anything else we didn't cover that you that you think is important for people to know about you, or how you developed your style, or things that you've learned along the way that have helped you a lot? I think like, so I I do teach some. I think one thing that I find a lot with some of my students is, you know, they're just playing and it's, I don't want to say it's lifeless, but there's not a lot of life in it, you know, and it's, it's just kind of, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. If, if, if you just had, I'm just going to come up with a song, you know, I'll just play Cripple Creek, right? It's very monotone. Not that it's bad. It's just, you know, I think you need to put more life in, you know, I don't mean be louder, but I just mean, you know, dynamics. And I think that that has shaped me a lot as a player, is having students, you know, and then trying to teach them. It's made me realize things that maybe I didn't notice before about my playing or maybe things I need to do about my playing. So what I tell my students now is, have you ever watched a Broadway show or listen to anything on Broadway. It's very exaggerated. Everything is very like yeah. the way the way they act, the way they sing. You know, it's 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 all very <laughs> exaggerated. They're very happy, or they're really sad, or they're really upset. You know, like so. You know, it's be that on the banjo. Oh, be that's that. great. Like take that boisterous Broadway in your face. You know that it that it is. And put that on the banjo. Be expressive, I guess is what I'm trying to say on the banjo. Oh, I love that. So that's cool. Yeah, but if you're if you're gonna play something happy, be the happiest. Be the banjo happiest player banjo player ever. ever. Yeah. Like, yeah, do it 100. percent Don't just play it. Play it with 
all that emotion and all that feeling. Oh man. It's, it's like, I don't know. That's what I tell kids now. <laughs> most, most of my students are kids. I should, should say most, uh, cause I, I do have a guy that's like in his sixties taking uh, lessons. So, but you tell him the same thing. I tell him the same thing. And what's their reaction or do they, are they able to absorb it and internalize? Some of them are, you know, uh-huh. the, some of them are like, Oh, I get what you mean. You know? And then they, they try to do that, um, bring that life to the music. But you know, some of them, I think they're still just timid and, you know, I want to get that out of them. So I'm still working on them. Oh, that's great. I think that's really good advice. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that one. I think. Yeah. That's cool. You're welcome to have it. <laughs> cool. Where can people find out what you're up to online if they want to check out your music or so keep you, up to date? If you just Google Stephen Moore Banjo mm-hmm. or go to stephenmorebanjo.com or type me in on YouTube, Stephen Moore Banjo. Stephen with a V. Yeah, Stephen with a V, Moore, M-O-O-R-E, mm-hmm. and Banjo. You'll find me out there. Um, you can keep up on David Mayfield Parade's website, uh, davidmayfieldparade.net. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, there is a Facebook page for me. I don't have any social media. I don't do that at all. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on, I guess, Instagram. All right. these, Anything. all these media outlets. I have none of that. Uh, but my wife has made a few artist pages for me. So you can. I, I don't know if you do you still like artist pages on Facebook. Like do that you, sounds right. Okay, yeah. so maybe maybe you go there and like it, or you know, and you can follow what I'm doing there, cool. something like that. So, um, you know, like I said, I don't play full time. Um, you know, I play with David full time, but you know, we're mostly playing on weekends. We aren't doing, uh, travel so much that cuts into my work week. So I keep the day job and then, you know, kind of do the weekend road warrior thing Uh and, you know, play gigs then. Then Monday morning, Monday morning, back to the grind. (laughs) If, if the banjo was a wildly lucrative career, you know, then I could just focus on that, but. It's, it's not for you. Oh, come on, <laughs> man. If only, if only, well, thanks again for your time. That was some really great stuff. Really like your plan. And I encourage people to yeah check out that stuff. And there's some YouTube videos out there. Yeah. And, and it's all great. I plan on ramping that up too. Uh, I've got some video gear now. I've invested in some good camera and oh, some good lighting gear and, We'll start no. getting some of those original ideas out yeah, there. Yeah, and we're going to be using that soon for some of the parade stuff. Mm-hmm. I've already created a promo video, so it'll, it'll, it should be out soon. I'm going to put it online soon. It might be visible to all of you all out there on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if it's going to be out soon, it might even be out before people hear this. Man, so, it could be. Yeah, go, go check it out, everyone. Well, thanks again, Stephen. Thanks, Keith. Thanks mm-hmm. for having me. Much appreciated. Yeah. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening to the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. The sound clips you heard in this one, in the order that you heard them, was Dear Old Dixie performed by Almost Famous, Christmas Country Style performed by the Statler Brothers, Carla's Got a New Tattoo by the John Cowan Band, Supergrouper by Noam Pekelny, Wheelhouse performed by Jim Hurst, and then This Old House and When Johnny Comes Marching Home both performed by Almost Famous. Uh, thanks once again to Gear Rude and Trey Matthew, the Patreon supporters of this episode. Once again, you can go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to support the podcast if you like what I do and want to support it. Uh, you can contact me, pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com, and I will be back next time 
with another in the freshly picked series to profile another newly released banjo album. So tune in and uh, check that out. And in the meantime, everyone take care of yourself and I'll see you then. <laughs>